and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. We return to our biblical considerations of the ancient church of Sardis. Please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. This time we see reasons why spiritually alive Christians are still in danger. The two dangers from today's study are the danger of incomplete ministry works and the danger of forgotten doctrine. And now, with his message for this morning, our senior pastor, Robert Elliott. So how is it that verse 2 this church is called to wake up. How does a dead person wake up? How does a spiritually dead person wake up? Well, they wake up by being regenerated in conversion. They wake up by trusting Jesus to be their Lord and Savior and to receive his life as their new life, to be given the Holy Spirit to enliven them and to make them able to say yes to God and no to sin. Conversion is how a spiritually dead person wakes up. And maybe you're here this morning. The fact is, God knows, I may not know, the people around you may not know, but God knows. The fact is that maybe you're here this morning and you're spiritually dead. You've never uh, been awakened in your spirit by conversion. You've never repented of sin, trusted Christ alone for salvation, and been born again. That isn't your testimony as of this morning, but it could be this morning before you leave. There was a funeral went on. I don't know what state it was in. It was in one of the United States. And in the middle of the funeral home service, the pastor was ministering the word of God to the bereaved family, and a cell phone went off. That's not necessarily that odd, except it was ringing inside the casket. When they brought the blazer to the funeral director to put it on the body of their loved one, his cell phone was in the pocket of his blazer turned on. And right in the middle of his funeral service, the cell phone was ringing. You might think the signs of life were there. I mean, someone's cell phone's ringing. You think there's a sign of life, but the man was gone. Maybe we have signs of life, spiritual life, but there is no life yet. Come to Christ. Trust him. He specializes in waking up spiritually dead people. He did so for Lazarus, do you remember? Lazarus, come forth. Jesus previously in John 11 said, he's asleep, which was a euphemism for death. But Jesus Christ called in a loud, loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out alive, bound in grave bandages. And Jesus said, take off the bandages. The way you would come to Christ and be enlivened in your spirit would be say, to say to God, I'm a sinner in need of the Savior. And I turn from myself and what I can do religiously, and I turn from my sin, and I turn to Jesus in faith, a childlike faith. I cast my present time and my eternity on the finished work of Jesus to be enough for me. And I accept heaven as a gift, not as something I could merit. And I accept the forgiveness of sins as a grace because I could never earn it. If you've never done that, don't leave a dead person with a cell phone on in your pocket this morning. So the first place, the majority in the church of Sardis were spiritually dead. But now let's turn to the minority. The second point in your outlines, the minority was spiritually alive, but they were in danger. Verses 2 and 3, see it with me. 
wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. This minority that was spiritually alive, they were in danger. They were in danger due to four dangers I see in the text. Number one, they were in danger because their ministry works were incomplete works. And incomplete ministry works are works which are about to fizzle out. To die is what the text says. Ministry works that are incomplete, that we are content leaving incomplete, will eventually fade away. You know, the thing you didn't sign up to help with in ministry this past year at church, the opportunity seemingly has faded away. Incomplete ministry deeds have a way of doing that. And the person who is content to leave their ministry service to Jesus incomplete is in danger. Back then, in around AD 95, when this letter was written to Sardis, back then, and equally I would submit this morning in 2013, the things that can be left incomplete are evangelism and the Great Commission. The winning of the loss by sharing of our faith in the power of the Holy Spirit with direct love and prayer is often left incomplete in my life and I think in some of yours as well. There are people we are around every week who are lost in sin and we may be the only born-again ambassador of the gospel that's in their life. We need to speak up and pray up. Another incompleted ministry deed back then at Sardis' day and in our day today is the Great Commission. Jesus' last words need to be given first importance. Jesus' last words before ascending to his Father's right hand was go and make disciples. So often we see someone come to Christ and then we don't really pay attention. We don't help them to grow up into the full stature of Jesus, discipleship. Let's not be a church that is individuals who are content with incomplete ministry deeds. It's a danger. The second danger I see is in verse 3a, and it's the danger of forgotten doctrine. Do you see it there in verse 3? So remember what you have received and heard. You see, they had received sound doctrine and teaching about who Jesus Christ is, what he did on the cross, how he rose from the dead, how he's coming back again. They'd gotten good teaching and doctrine, but apparently they had forgotten it. Even the spiritually alive people in that church had forgotten good doctrine. And boy, is that ever easy for us to do today too, right? I would submit that by God's grace for 51 years, this church has never lacked in sound doctrine. It's a Bible-believing and teaching church, and we want to be until Christ gathers us up to be with himself. But the danger even in a doctrinally sound and Bible-believing and teaching church is that we can forget once what we knew. We can get amnesia about doctrine. Now back then, in AD 95, the doctrines that they tended to forget were the deity of Christ and eternal security. If you look down to verse 5, apparently some of them had forgotten that once you're saved, you're always saved because in verse 5, the Spirit of God writes to Sardis, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life. Somebody must have been teaching them you can get your name erased from the book of life, which isn't correct. They had forgotten the eternal security of their salvation, and they had forgotten the deity of Christ, that Christ is very God. What is forgotten in the evangelical church now? 
by way of doctrine? Well, several things. Creation. If you get creation wrong, you get everything else wrong. God is the creator. He spoke everything there is except evil into existence by the word of his mouth in six literal 24-hour days. So often that doctrine is forgotten by the church nowadays. We also forget the deity of Christ. In some quarters, we debate whether he was truly and fully God. Well, he was truly, fully God. Another doctrine that the modern-day evangelical church can tend to forget is that of marriage, the sanctity of marriage, the lifelong intended will of God for marriage. Another doctrine that we easily can jettison or get careless about or not teach or deny even is the existence of a literal hell. There are evangelicals today, you may have seen them and heard them, who are not even sure there is a hell anymore. You see, it's easy to forget sound doctrine. It's easy to walk away and not to remember things that the Bible teaches us that we once knew. And when a person does that, they're an apostate, someone who knew the truth and then walks away from it. And so this church at Sardis was in danger for four things. We've covered two. The first danger was they were in the danger of incomplete ministry works. The second danger was they had forgotten doctrine. The third danger was they had unrepented of sins. I see that in the second part of verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. You see, they had sin in their lives. The ones that were spiritually alive had sin in their lives, and they needed to repent. We've talked about it. Repenting is changing your mind that you're going in the wrong direction towards sin and away from God. Change your mind so that it changes your behavior. You do a U-turn and you go back to the Word of God and what it teaches and the character of God and what He stands for, and you don't go back to where you were walking before. It's repentance. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and today we want to talk about what it means to be a Christ follower. And Jesus himself changed the world when he used two words, and he said, follow me. And I want you to just think for a second and ask yourself, what comes to your mind when you think of the words, follow me? Some people will just be followers, and they'll just follow a person without asking any questions. Some people will ask a question, if, if I ask you to follow me somewhere, you may say to yourself, well, where am I going to follow you? What am I doing? You know, I can think of times driving in the United States where we, we tell someone to follow us, but yet the person who we are supposed to be following, they may speed up and they may run, run past a red light where we can get across and now we're stuck. But as we consider and we think of those examples, we can consider that when Jesus says to follow him, this is greater than any other person to call to follow. And we want to just look and consider this morning Matthew chapter 4. As we consider what Jesus, as Jesus called his first disciples. And when we consider what a disciple is, a disciple is a follower, a follower of Jesus. This is what Matthew 4, 18 and 22 says. While walking by the sea, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mend their nets. 
And he called them, and immediately they left their boat. Their father followed them. And we see two different examples here. We see, first of all, Simon and his brother Andrew. And we need to consider what Jesus is doing. Jesus didn't go out and look for the doctors of the society. He didn't look for the rich. He didn't look for those who, you know, who we would consider, well, he wants the, the best person who makes the most money. No, he chose fishermen. And in those days, fishermen were low people who were working hard, doing what the best they can, and they would cast their nets to catch fish. And this is why Jesus goes to them and he says, look, I don't want you to fish for fish anymore. I want you to fish for men. He recognized that, you know what? They understood the whole concept of fishing. So now I don't want, I want you to change your focus from fishing for fish and fish for men. You see, Jesus called each one of us, whether we're young, whether we're older, wherever age we are, he has called us as followers of him to, to say, you know what? I want to follow Christ and I want to do what I can to bring others to Christ. We also need to notice in verse 20, as we consider when Jesus talked to these Simon and Andrew, he said this. It says that immediately they left their nets and followed him. You see, these guys didn't, didn't say, well, you know, we need to think about this or come back to me in five minutes or come to me back another day. No, immediately they left their nets and followed him. You see, G they understood that Jesus was the Messiah. They understood that Jesus was the man who they wanted to follow. And they didn't ask no questions. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. But we also see another example here as we consider in Matthew, 20, Matthew 4, 21. It says, that, And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, and mend their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You see, we have a different example here as we consider James and John. Because we see that they're there with their father. We see that they're with their dad. And as Jesus says to them, follow me, we notice that they did not ask their dad, well, dad, what should we do? Should we go and follow Jesus or how, what should we do? No, the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture says that they did not even consult their dad. They recognized that Jesus was, they had to follow Jesus above whatever their dad may have said. And this is what we need to understand in our own lives. And I'm not, this morning, I want to make it very clear to you as a young person as you're listening to this broadcast that you are not supposed to disrespect your mom or dad. But we need to understand that we need to obey Jesus Christ above our parents. Because Jesus has a great plan for your life. And Jesus has a better plan for even than your parents may have. And you may be listening to this as a, a parent and you may be saying to yourself, well, you know, Pastor Nicholas, what are you trying to do? What are you talking about? But we need to understand that as parents, we need to know what's best for our kids' lives. And the best thing for our kids' lives is not what we want, but it's what God wants. You see, in society today, we teach our kids that we want to be successful. We want to make the most money. We want to do this thing and that thing. But the reality is that God may be calling some of our own kids to the ministry, to the mission field. And we need to understand that even in the ministry and the mission field, that person is not going to make a lot of money. They're not going to do the things that, that we would expect for them to do, become a doctor, a lawyer. But we need to understand that above all of that, we cannot put a dollar value on following Christ. Because that's, as a teenager, that's what we want for our, each one of our kids to do, is to follow Christ. You see, what happens today in our society is this, and we, in our culture today, we see so many things happening with our young people. But we have to ask ourselves as parents that it, sometimes it falls on us. Because what we have done as our kids are growing up in the, in the church, we have basically told our kids that, you know what? 
I want you to not go to this church activity or participate in church because I need you to get good grades so you get that scholarship. And we have put education above whatever our kids, um, whatever God may want for our kids' lives. And then we wonder when our kids come off from college or they go to college and they, their minds get twisted with other religions and different things. We wonder why. It's because of us. It's because we haven't pushed our kids in the same way in, in following Christ as we have pushed them in following what the world is, is telling them to do or what we want them to do in their education. You see, we need to recognize that as Christ followers, as parents, we are going to set the example for our kids. You know, I have a daughter and, and, and you know, I pray that what, that even as I get older, that whatever God calls her to, I will accept that because that's what we should all want. We should not want our, to write the plan for our kids' lives, but we should want God to reveal his plan to our kids' lives. And we should let God just show them exactly what it is he has for them. You see, I know of stories where parents have discouraged their kids from going into ministry because, again, they look at it as not a high-paying job, or a successful person. But the reality is, when we follow Christ, we're doing what is right. We're doing the best thing that we possibly can do. You see, going back to what we're talking about with, as we consider when our kids come back from college and they come back and they don't want nothing to do with the church, as a parent, we need to look ourselves in the mirror and say, what have we done to help that? Have we told our kids at an at age, as they come into the church now, we told them that Sunday school isn't important or, you know, joining this orchestra in the church is not important or this thing. But you can join any other orchestra that you want. The reality is, is that we need to show them and we need to show that by example that, you know, before you can go into those different musical things or whatever it may be, that I want you to participate in church because that is the example that you need to see. They need to see that God is placed first above the worldly things. And you know what? In the world, we may get more credit, we may get more praise, but the reality is in our own lives, as we consider talking about following Christ, we're not about the praise of man. We're about the praise of God. And when we follow him, we do what we can for him. That's the most important praise that we could ever get from our Father who is in heaven. Again, I want to just remind you here at Calvary Bible Church that we do have a youth program on Friday nights at 7 to 9.30 as well as we do have a children's program for ages 5 to 18, which is called Cross Trainers on a Tuesday night from 6 to 8. And you are all invited to attend these different meetings. And I want to challenge you as as parents that we would prioritize again what it truly means to follow Christ, and our kids will see that in each of our lives. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I want to thank you for listening to Utah. And now, today's ministry spotlight. We are in the middle of a discussion between Pastor Elliot and Rhonda Darville of the Bahamas Godparent Center. We will resume from where we left off last week. How do we tell that she's beautiful? Uh-huh. That she's chosen, that God loves her. God has a purpose for her other than just this hard time that she's in. Yes. You know, yes. these are the types of clients, and this is not the only type of client, but she's a strong young woman, but she doesn't have anything to show, you know. She doesn't have a support system uh-huh. to to give her advice. If there's a situation on her job, you know, well, you know, they have me taking Excel, but I'm not even ready for Excel because I don't even have internal computers. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she doesn't have a voice. She hasn't she hasn't learned how to use the voice that God's given her. So that's a woman that, you know, we will see 
but we don't understand her story. We all have a bigger story. We sure do. We can't judge books by their cover. Exactly. Um, there's probably some sweet ladies in that kind of a situation, that yes. exact kind of situation, listening right now. Yes. And we're going to give the phone number for the ministry uh, so they can know how to access your you and your help. Okay. Now, um, how would a person who is interested in becoming supportive of the ministry in a non-financial way, what kind of things can they do? Okay, well, one of the things that we find that we really need right now, um, church liaisons. So go-betweens. Yes. If you're involved in a church already, like I said, our ministry is free, but it's faith-based. If, as a pro-life ministry, we cannot get the church behind us, who will? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay, so that's, it. that's extremely important for us. We find that when a church member goes into her pastor, because I can't go to all of, obviously, I don't know them all, mm -hmm. but you know your pastor. You can go to him. You can go to her. You can go to your women's ministry yes. group, for instance, and share with them. And that's how we've found or gotten other churches involved by somebody who knows them and knows the ministry. Not only that, this same young lady I'm talking about, and many of them, sometimes I say, okay, I want to get you back into a church because we realize that they need a broader scope of support. Them coming to us is good, but they need to be with other believers. Yes. And so we want to, to put a in place in most churches, it's called an em embrace grace ministry. I like that, embrace grace. Embrace grace. So these women, they've walked a certain road, but now they're repentant. And they need to be brought back to God. So they need to come back into a setting where they can be loved on and cherished. And then they can grow also. So we want churches to support our ministry, obviously, mm -hmm. to pray for our ministry. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, I, I'm, I go to churches in Collins Avenue. But if I have a client in Carmichael Road, I need a church in Carmichael Road yes. to be that feeder church so she can go there, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, or in the eastern area or whatever so they can embrace her and bring her back into the fold because that's what it is we, we keep talking about the village the village in this country what does that village look like the village a part of the village should be the church definitely okay so church liaisons uh, volunteers we need volunteers for many things we do baby ball drives mm -hmm. and the Baby Ball Drive is universal with Crisis Pregnancy Ministries. All of our ministries, over 2,000 plus ministries, we take baby balls into churches different times of the year and we collect them. Well, we're, we're, we're receiving mostly coins. So a lot of times we need people to help us count and yeah, wrap, wrap those coins. You know, the thing is, my husband and I was like, oh, we'll buy this machine. That didn't work because we have U.S. coins and Bahamian coins. And then we talked to our brothers and sisters who have been doing ministry for 15, 20 years in the U.S. And we say, what do you guys do? They say, we get our volunteers and they come in and they count. So they've been counting for 15 to 20 yeah, <laughs> years, I guess. We're going to continue counting. So that's a big ministry. Then we want to do other events. We have a, a music musician who wants to do a jazz event for us. So there are other things. But we want people to just come in with ideas. How do we plug into the community? How do we get connected in areas that we're not associated with? You know, bring what you, what you have. Come and talk to us. And we'll see where we can plug you in. That's all the time we have for today. We'll pick up from there next time, Lord willing. 
For more information on the Bahamas Guard Parent Center, you can phone them at 698-4306. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. I have a question from Acts 28, verses 30 to 31. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Question is, what happened to Paul after the two years mentioned here by Luke? Some think that Paul was killed after his two years in Rome. A more likely scenario is that he was released and ministered for another five or six years before his death. Paul refers to the possibility of his release in several of his prison letters. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 25, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 24, in Philemon, verse 22. The pastoral epistles make many references to Paul's travels and ministry after his first Roman imprisonment. Eventually, Paul was arrested and brought again to Rome. During his imprisonment, he was treated more harshly, see 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, and he anticipated his own death, see 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Paul's martyrdom probably took place in the spring of AD 68. According to early tradition, the apostle was beheaded with a sword on the Ostian Way, just outside the city gate. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.